Welcome back to another edition of the USC Triple Double Podcast. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, along with my co-host, Mr. Triple Double himself, Connor Morissette. Count up those consonants in the second name. Connor, how are you navigating that weather out there in Southern California? Thank you for asking. I'm doing well. Being out here for six years, I've learned to drive slowly in the rain because I've witnessed a lot of people driving fast in the rain, and that ends poorly for them. So I've been cautious, and I'm doing well. It, it is difficult to drive in the rain in L.A., one, because people are not used to it, but also there are so many lights in a big city that there's so much reflection, and it, it creates a, a difficulty there for people who are not in Southern California and don't realize that it is actually a little bit more difficult than your normal you know, Midwestern thunderstorm, which are terrible in their own right when you're trying to drive through those. But while Connor and the rest of Southern California are trying to fend off the elements – has the USC Trojans men's basketball team finally weathered the storm? Andy Enfield's squad finally snapped its losing streak, which had climbed to six games. It's the longest the Trojans had endured since 2015, Enfield's second year when USC lost nine in a row. But that had a one-point loss, a two-point loss, a triple overtime loss. This stretch of six games was USC getting blown out, USC blowing a game, USC not playing well, USC struggling. That was all pretty consistent. But we've seen some signs of things growing the last couple of games. And then on Saturday, kind of a cathartic release. You know, they beat Oregon State, but they didn't just beat Oregon State. They beat the hell out of Oregon State, which had to feel good for the players. So we're seeing some signs of progress. Now can they carry over those positives, leave behind the negatives, maybe even go on their own little run? The schedule is kind of set up for that. Didn't really realize this until, you know, recently when I was looking at the schedule set up a little bit easier in the second half. This is the time where they got to make it happen. There's definitely some sunshine in Galen Center, at least for a couple days this week. With the weather, I don't know about sunshine shotgun. (laughs) I think that'll just be the spotlight beaming off of Juju Watkins. We got to talk about her, of course, in this show. I'll let you take it away from here, but man, oh man, what a performance from her on Friday night. Good point. Good point. She definitely could be that after what she did this weekend, national player of the week honors. Pac-12 Player of the Week, Freshman of the – of course, she's Freshman of the Week, the Juju Watkins Award, the Freshman of the Week. I mean, she was outstanding. She she put on a hell of a show. Incredible 51-point performance against Stanford, averaging 40 points for the week. I, I can't wait to break down those performances even more. So much to get to with her. That was incredible shotgun, exceptional the best performance by a women's basketball player, probably even a men's basketball player, too, this season. What a showing from her. And man, oh man, I'm so pumped to talk about it. We'll definitely be talking all about Juju Watkins, the freshman's incredible performance on the road against the number four team in the nation. That's the part that keeps just, it's so overwhelming when I hear that part. And it's not just they won on the road and they beat a top five team. It's they beat Stanford, a team they never beat. The the women of Troy, they win at Stanford the first time in over 20 years. And only the second time since 1987. So I think that's your lifetime, Connor. Is that right? You know, second time in Connor's lifetime that USC has won at Stanford. So the women of Troy got out to a slow start and they rallied to beat Cal. So they complete the barrier sweep. They climb up the Pac-12 standings a little bit. They're back into the top 10. But we're going to force you listeners to stick around to hear us break all that down the second half of the show. Because we're going to have this week's guest, USC Associate Head Coach Chris Capco, join us during the first half of the show. And just in case you're a first-time listener, the USC Triple Double Podcast is part of the Peristyle Podcast family of shows. Triple Double Pod 
is focused on the Trojan men and the women of Troy basketball programs. Each week, we break down all the latest action for both teams, as well as look forward to the upcoming matchups. This week, we'll be breaking down Juju's masterpiece, as well as looking to see if the men's team can carry the momentum from its weekend of action. And Shotgun, I know that I wasn't able to do the Chris Capco interview. Do you want me to dive right into the men's recap? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so first game, Oregon, familiar theme for USC. The the sixth game of that losing streak, not very pretty. Got close at the end, but USC was just down by too many points and ended up falling 78-69. to Like I said, USC was hanging tough with Oregon, but then gave up a 9-2 run, which turned into a 22-7 run in the second half. Jackson Shellstead, 20 points for the Ducks, the great freshman point guard for them. And really the second half just wasn't that competitive. Boogie Ellis, 17 points, five of 16 shooting. So not a very efficient night from him. Kobe Johnson really struggled one and nine and zero of six from three in that one. And that led shotgun to him not playing as much in the second half of the homestand for USC. He didn't start against Oregon state. And I don't know how much that exactly contributed to USC dominating the Beavers, but with Bronny James, Isaiah Sellers, and Boogie Ellis starting at the guard spots, USC, like we talked about off the top, they come out and they roll Oregon State 82-54, most dominant win of the year, especially in conference, 32-23 at the half, and then USC continued to put the pedal to the floor, 44-31 in the second half, so winning both halves with ease. Bronny James connected on a three-pointer, which put USC ahead 41-27, and then you blink your eyes, it was like 65-32. to It was a big, big run there. In that second half, DJ Rodman had 14 rebounds and 12 points. He at one point had as many rebounds as the whole Oregon State team. So that just shows you how dominant a game it was. And it was great team basketball. Harrison Hornery led USC with 14 points, but 10 different Trojans scored. There was fun being had on the bench, which we haven't seen. That was really great to to witness, to be there in person. USC gets off the schneid, ends the six-game losing streak, and beats up Oregon State. Now, though, we got to ask, is that going to continue? Are we going to get performances like this down the stretch? Because if so, USC will probably probably be a tough team to knock out in the Pac-12 tournament. But if they resort back to their old ways, we'll see. Because obviously at times this season, they've really struggled. And if they're playing poorly, I think anyone in the conference can beat them. Yeah, and that, that's something we'll talk to uh, Chris Capco about. Now, like I said, Connor, I forced him to the recap because he wasn't able to join me for uh, the Capco interview that I did a little bit earlier today. Connor had a doctor's appointment, so we'll give him a pass, I guess, since he was at the <laughs> doctor. He had to brave the elements of Southern California to go to the doctor. So uh, I'll give him a pass on that. But let's jump to our interview with Chris Capco. We now welcome in this week's guest, USC men's associate head coach, Chris Capco. Thanks for taking the time to join us, Cap. Thank you for having me on, Shotgun. Well, I got I to gotta venture to say that feels a little bit better today than it has been the last couple of weeks coming off of a win. How does it feel to finally break that losing streak um, when you don't, you don't usually have a lot of losing streaks at USC with the way you guys have played the last few years? Yeah, it feels good, man. I think it gives our guys a sense of confidence, too, and you know, to be honest with you, we had struggled, but other than the UCLA game, felt like, man, the fight and the effort and energy was there. And, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's mistakes or turnovers or whatever the case may be, you know, we just weren't able to turn that corner and um, felt like we did that against Oregon, too. We played hard. We made some defensive mistakes early and at kind of key times. Uh, but the guys fought and didn't quit. And I thought that showed um, uh, on Saturday against Oregon State. We played really hard. We guarded really well 
And I think also through some of the struggles, you see some guys getting better. And hopefully that pays dividends. Like Bronny had 13 assists, two turnovers, I think, over the weekend. Ozai is getting much better. Um, and so you're seeing these guys who just are getting better. And hopefully that's what it took for some of them to take this step. And then as we hit this stride and we get all our guys back, now all that comes together and you're playing your best basketball at the right time of the year. How do you feel like the team is playing right now? Like you said, there's been some strides, it seems like. You're starting to get some guys back, and maybe you get Isaiah back soon. Um, mm -hmm. do you feel like the team is on an upward trajectory? Do you feel like they're playing well right now? Is there still a lot of things you want to correct? How, how exactly do you feel about the way the team is playing right now? <laughs> we played well Saturday. Obviously, coming off of six wins, I don't want to say we're playing well – or six losses, I don't want to say we're playing well. But I do think we're showing strides in certain things. Like over that, that span where we were out, Boogie and Isaiah. So what was that? Um, Colorado, Arizona State, Arizona. I felt like we were defending better. We were just turning the ball over, right? Mm -hmm. Which puts a lot of stress on your defense. It gives up layups and stuff like that. But like I said, now you, you, you move forward to this and now you have a weekend where Bronny has 13 assists, two turnovers, right? So I think he's playing better. I think Oziah is getting confidence and he's be, being a efficient scorer, which we could use an additional efficient score, especially with Isaiah Collier out. So I thought the defense has been there as long as we cannot turn the ball over. You know, I think that gives us a chance and will help our defense out a lot. And then the other part of that, you know, you score 50 points against UCLA. You have Boogie, but you don't have Isaiah, right? And so that's 30-some points right there and, and another 15 without Isaiah, you know, you got to find people who can score and step up in those spots, which is tough. And I think through probably some of those tougher games, like some of the games I just mentioned, you're seeing Ozias start to get confidence. And hopefully he gives us another level of scoring that he can continue this play with more confidence. And his, you know, he helps the team in that aspect as we move forward and gives us an additional scorer to play off those guys when you get call your back. It was a little bit cathartic to to win the way you did uh, against Oregon State. It wasn't just that you won. It wasn't you found a way to win. You overcame some. It was you came out and just straight balled in that game and yeah. showed what you're capable of. And maybe you showed the players, hey, when we play our game, this is what we're capable of if we just continue to do this and continue to build on it. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, even you know what was cathartic about it, Shotgun, I thought – and I had people mention this to me is it looked like the guys were having a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Bench had a lot of energy. They were together, right? I thought our team was together. And I thought that was cathartic because when you are going through a tough streak, it's hard to find that. Right. And so to see the joy on the guy's face and the energy that they had and the positive energy that they had, I thought that was cathartic. And to your point, you're right. Like it does hopefully give them confidence to show them what we can do, but the energy that we had, I thought was the right thing. And, and I was proud to see that. And hopefully that's one aspect of it that this group carries on. Yeah. That, that was something I definitely wanted to ask about it. I noticed it on the broadcast. Connor noticed it in the arena. The bench was having so much fun. And that was before you guys were up by, you know, yeah. we're, we're blowing them out. What's contributed to the culture of this team lasting through this rush stretch? Because normally when teams have these high expectations, and it doesn't come to fruition, things fall mm -hmm. apart behind the scenes. And at least from the outside looking in, it does not seem like that's been the case for you guys. Why is why have you guys been able to overcome that? And what does that maybe give you belief in, you know, the potential of what this team could do, you know, in a in a weekend at, at a Pac-12 tournament or something like that? Yeah, I think we just got good kids, you know. And so when the tough, when the going gets tough, man, these kids have not quit because that's not who they are. 
you know, I thought we've had good leadership from the top up, from coach down in terms of our, our positivity and just trying to keep the main thing, the main thing in terms of how do we get better and how do we improve and not burying kids. And so I think their energy has been up. We got good kids in general. So they fall back on their foundation of who they are. And when you're losing, it's hard to maintain positivity and belief, but you know, I think hopefully seeing a win on this and how we did win will give them confidence. And like I said, if anything comes through some losing is hopefully you learn from that. And hopefully some guys have gotten better and it provides depth and just more, um, you know, whether it's scoring or ball handling, facilitating, you know, hopefully that stuff carries on. So now when you do get your full, full assembly of talent that, you know, now you got more pieces in place to really help you win. And, uh, but to answer your question i just think we got good kids in the program and that's not who they are is to quit or to blame others or whatever you're gonna have some rough patches but who they are matters and that's why you try to recruit good people in your program now maintaining positivity does not mean not being on the players and you we definitely have seen you guys very active and emotional with, with some of the players on the sidelines uh during the games what's been the biggest thing the te biggest teaching point you guys have been trying to sell you know, during this losing streak about if we just can fix these couple things, then, then we'll be able to get over it. And how have the players kind of taken that? Because we hear all the time about, oh, players these days don't take coaching. And that's mm -hmm. not all players. That's a, a very general statement. Yeah. What does it say about this group that, you know, they've been able to continue to battle through some of this adversity they've been through? Yeah, we've just tried to hone in on why we have been losing and not bury them and screaming and yelling, but why? You know, and there's been different iterations of it. Like, you know, when we went through that streak without Boogie and Isaiah, we turned the ball over a lot. We're up 13 at Colorado. And then, you know, it's not really a defensive adjustment or this and that. It's you're playing without your two point guards. And we turned the ball over a lot. It was everybody, right? And that led to a lot of easy baskets for them. And then um, same thing in the second half against Arizona. Same thing against Arizona State, right? So now we're trying to talk about turnovers. And then it's offensive rebounds or defensive rebounds on our part. Um, and then obviously the, the defensive part, just in general. So we've been trying to hone in on that stuff, attack that stuff in practice. I mean, I think it's pretty evident the guys see that, right? They knew, you know, we would talk about it, but they knew the reasons why we were losing. We've tried to attack those in practice. We didn't turn the ball over a lot this weekend, so that was good. Um, against Oregon State, I don't remember what it was. I'm looking for the stat sheet in my office, but they didn't. They had very minimal offensive rebounds. And then when you can do that and you can set your defensive up, your defense up, now your defense is generally better. And I thought all those kind of played together. And hopefully, again, we can continue to buy into that stuff and hang our hat on that stuff as we move forward. And I think the guys are bought into that. And hopefully it carries on as we finish this year. Oregon State finished with 10 offense rebounds, though a lot of those came in the last five yeah. minutes, it felt like, because uh, yeah. you guys out-rebounded by, uh, by 20, <laughs> 44 to 24. At one point, DJ Rodman – was mm -hmm. had as many rebounds as Oregon State as a team. Him in particular, it seemed like he took the message to heart uh, uh, more than anyone else. I know you guys have been on the bigs over and over, but you've also been on DJ. You're, you're the swing guy. you got to be in there, especially when you're playing the four, to, to be in there rebounding uh, more. How important is, is his rebounding to this team going forward? Very important. And um, you should, you know, you saw that. Like, you know, DJ is a very capable rebounder. He's got to continue to do that. Our guards also got to help more too. Like they got to get back in and defensive rebound as well. It starts with your bigs, but we're relying on everybody to do that. And DJ was it was a glaring example of it. It helped our team out. You know, I think it provided energy too, right? All the rebounding he was doing. 
So that was, you know, DJ is very capable. You know, the other thing, he took three charges in the game. And um, DJ was one of the leading charge takers in our league, maybe even nationally when we got him. And they've changed the charge rules, so it's harder to take charges now. But still, that's uh, another thing that he can provide that, you know, gives you like a burst of energy and can swing momentum. Um, so he did that. And hopefully, again, he builds off that and it gives him some energy and, and some positivity as we move forward because he's a big part of what we do. He's experienced. And the more that he can, can provide those intangibles, the better our team will be. You guys have been missing your, your probably your biggest energy creator when you have an electric point guard, when he goes by somebody, when he breaks somebody's ankles and hits a three like he did earlier this season. Those things all create mm -hmm. that momentum as well. What's the latest on Isaiah Collier's status? When do you guys hope to have him back? Um, I don't know. We're hoping to get him back at some point this week. Now, I don't know if that's Wednesday, and I, and I can't say definitively if that's going to be Saturday. Um, but if it's not this week, I think it's soon. He's been great, you know, working his butt off to get back and staying in shape. You know, there's going to be some timing things for him um, as he gets back and, and some conditioning things because obviously he hasn't been able to play in a game. He hasn't been able to play because of contact. Now he's been able to try to run and, and keep his cardio up to some extent. You're right. I mean, you miss that. I mean, he's, you know, Boogie's a scorer and so is Isaiah, but the the pressure Isaiah puts on the defense in terms of being able to get by his man and then create, we miss that. And we've missed that at times, you know, in this, in that six game losing streak and he'll give us an added, just an added element um, to our offense and just a hard guy to stay in front. He's obviously our second leading scorer. So he scores the ball too. And so it'll be great to get him back. And again, hopefully, all these guys who've been able to kind of get some reps while he's been out, it benefits them. And then you bring Isaiah back into the fold. It just makes our team much better. So hopefully this week shotgun, if not, it's close, but um, I don't think wins. I'm not sure about Wednesday. I'm not sure about Saturday, but I know we're hoping that we can get them for one of these games. And if not next week, and it'll be an added bonus when we do. As a former point guard, what's the most difficult part for a point guard when you jump back in after missing time? Just timing and, and conditioning. You know, there's a, People don't realize there's a responsibility that goes, I wasn't a scorer, so I didn't have to carry that load. But when you're, you know, initiating offense, people are picking you up full. You're trying to get guys in their offense, take care of the ball, set everybody else up. There's a responsibility that comes with that. And then obviously there's also a responsibility on the defensive end to know what's going on, guard your position. And so I think that's just going to be the biggest thing is, is kind of working his rhythm back into it, um, not trying to overdo things. Obviously he plays really fast and really downhill, and just getting a flow for the game and a rhythm of the game, even just a month out, which he's had, that's a lot of game time to miss, especially for a freshman, a young guy, right? Like mm -hmm. six, what's, I don't even know if it's been six or seven games, but, you know, that's a lot of time to miss for a young player. And so I don't want to put too much expectation on when he gets back in terms of how he should look right away, other than just getting his feel, his legs back underneath him and a rhythm for the game and, and I think that's going to be the biggest thing. Any young player, you miss six, seven games, like that's a lot. You know, that's more than not half of his games, but a third of his games that he hasn't played in. So when you're young, as many games as you can play, that's important. I just think that's going to be the biggest thing is him getting a rhythm back and a feel back for the game. And I think that will be his biggest adjustment as he comes back. I told Connor, I think one of the biggest adjustments he's going to have to be is uh... – he's going to have to cut out his thunder clap, you know, when he gets really fired up because that big clap going on, he mm -hmm. might have to cut that out, you know, coming off yeah. a broken hand. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That'll be an adjustment for him. Another freshman though, that seems to be settling in Bronny James. Uh, mm -hmm. You mentioned 13 assists to two turnovers this past week against the Oregon schools um, has taken on a different role in the last, you know, couple of weeks because of the injuries to uh, Isaiah mm -hmm. Collier and Boogie Ellis. 
how have you seen his progression go, you know, from not being able to play the first, you know, eight, nine games of the season and then getting thrown in there with all the attention that's always on him? How have you seen him start to kind of settle in and, and maybe find his role a little bit? Yeah, I mean, we went through events last year and it's not fair to um to evaluate these kids as a whole because when you're young and you miss a whole summer, a whole fall, eight or nine games, like you said, all the practice, all the reps that goes into that, that's a huge adjustment. And then you throw in the attention that he gets and the pressure that I'm sure comes with being him. I never asked him about it, but obviously, you know, there's a different pressure for him than there is other people. It's a lot, right? You know, I think what we asked him to do in the stretch where Isaiah's been out and Kobe too, where they're handling the ball full time and making decisions, that's a lot. And when you've missed a lot of games, it's even more. But I do think you're starting to see him. I think Boogie being back makes it a little more comfortable for him, right? So he's playing with Boogie. But to see him have 13 assists, two turnovers. Look, Oregon State doesn't force a lot of turnovers, but we turned it over 20-something times when we played up there, right? Mm-hmm. And so we we played much better, much more poised, much better decision-making. He was a prime example of that. I think he's getting his legs underneath him. I think the conditioning aspect of it is he's still catching up to that. And with each game, he's going to be in better shape. And so I think you're just seeing all that stuff come together. The game slowing down a tad, him getting more comfortable, him getting in better shape. And with that, you're seeing great decision-making numbers. His shot should continue to get better. He should get easier looks offensively. And and again, with each game, he should continue to get better and Hopefully that time where he played probably upper role, he benefits from that. And now you see him, he handled the ball full time. Now he's got a a more complement of substitutions. He doesn't have as much pressure on him in terms of what he needs to do. 13 assists, two turnovers. Hopefully he continues to do that as we move forward. Ozias Sellers, another young guy that's that's really taking a step forward. I was really impressed in that Oregon State game with the defensive pressure that he was putting on the ball uh, and away from the ball, chasing around Jordan Pope at times. Uh, it, it seems like he's really bought in on both ends of the court and he's been able to make some shots for you, for you now to draw stuff up for him and to create shots for him. And at the same time, he's taking care of his business on the other end and becoming an asset on the defensive end as well. Yeah. And I, let me, um, you know, I'll be remiss if I don't mention Bronny and that because we started him off on Jordan Pope and he did a great job and Oziah did a great job. Oziah has always been a pretty good positional defender for us. The next step for him is his individual defense. And I thought, you know, I was really happy to see how he guarded Jordan Pope. So that's one part of it. As you said, you know, offensively, Ozai has it. I think a lot of it is now as you kind of are transitioning roles, there's a confidence and there's like an adjustment that goes into being comfortable enough to kind of get more shots up. Right. And against Oregon, he had nine shots. He's, he needs to get more than that. You know what I mean? And you're starting to see that he's, he's feeling more confident, more comfortable to get more shots because he's a talent. You look at his numbers in league, man. He's been really efficient, really efficient. It's not easy to do. And you can see it in each game. Teams are locked into what he does. And he's going to unlock our offense a little more because as teams play him to shoot the ball. Now, he did against Oregon State. They run him off the line. He drives. He creates a layup for, for DJ. So he's got to be a confident scorer. It doesn't mean necessarily getting the shots up. But confident that, hey, if he's open, shoot it. If he's not, drive it, create for other people and be an all-around offensive player. And that should make life easier for Boogie. That should make life easier for Isaiah. That should make life easier for our bigs. And I think he can unlock our offense a little bit. And, and again, make make where Boogie takes the attention and Isaiah takes the attention off Ozaya. Now, as teams load up to him and know what he does, he can take the attention off of them a little bit and make us better offensively. Give me the overarching theme here. What's the biggest thing you've learned as a coach this season? 
Well, you know, first of all, you just never know what's going to happen, right? Like, you know, I, I've tried to, during this, go back and look at a lot of successful coaches and, you know, just kind of see what their career arc is like. And if you look at a lot of them, there's always a year here and there that maybe doesn't always add up and, and injuries are part of it. And sometimes you have to be a little lucky in terms of staying healthy and there's nothing you can do to control that. Right. And so that's why you try to develop kids. That's why everyone's got to stay ready. So that's been one of the biggest things. Sometimes there's just things out of your control, how to keep kids up during this time. We've been looking at doing a lot of different things on both sides of it and kind of always evolving right throughout your season and, and trying to do different things. But the biggest thing I think has been leadership, you know, just leading during tough times. It's easy to lead when last year we were 14 and six and we were never really in that tough of a spot. But, you know, leading through difficult times, keeping your team up, keeping your team motivated, keeping the guys who, you know, we tell freshmen all the time when, when freshmen are getting recruited, they don't they don't foresee any adversity happening because they were good high school players they think they're just going to come in they're going to be great college players right away well it doesn't happen like that so you got to keep these kids up too and I think probably one of the biggest things has just been leadership coach has done a good job but maintaining my leadership as the associate head coach and staying positive with kids and keeping them ready and you know and and at the end of the day you always want to be playing your best basketball toward the end of the year and hopefully we're still in position to do that and because of the leadership that's been in place and keeping these kids ready that hey we went through a tough spot there's some things out of our control now as we start to get everybody better let's see if we can play our best basketball i think we're in position to do that and i think we're in position to do that because all these kids have gotten better i think you saw on saturday they continue to be bought in and uh they're not going to quit so you mentioned kind of looking back on other successful coaches during season. Do you spend much time, you know, kind of picking the brains of other coaches? I, I know you guys do that a time when you're out recruiting uh, and whatnot, uh, just with other staffs and people that you're familiar with and guys, you know, uh, that that's what happens during the off season time. But when you're going through something like this, do you reach out to, is there any coaches that, that you see as mentors or whatnot that are not on the USC staff, obviously that you, you kind of reach out to and say, you know, how did you get through something like this? Or, you know, what, what do you think is best type of, you know, in, in these type scenarios? Yeah, I, I have, I've, I've reached out to people just to kind of hear what they've done, right? Like you going through a tough time. What have you done? What have you learned? Um, there's some coaches that I'm close with now. They're going through some tough seasons and I've reached out just to say, what are you guys doing? Just out of curiosity, you do do anything different. Have you changed anything? And, you know, everyone has their opinions and obviously you're formulating your opinions and you go off a of feel based off your team as mm -hmm. well. Maybe what do you think will help? But yeah, I mean, definitely. I, I try to watch a lot of college basketball this time of the year, just strategically, just to see what everyone's doing. But I probably spent more time this year reaching out to people I know who have been through some tougher years and, you know, kind of seeing what they've done in the past or what they feel like has worked for them during these times. And you just try to do the best you can. And and I, we believe that during this time, when you are going through a tough time, it's not the right time to bury your kids and make it harder. You got to uplift a little more. So that's why I talk about the leadership part of this is, you know, you got to nip it in the bud, whatever you feel like may be going on, continue to get better. And because it's not going to get any easier, right? And burying people is not the way to do it. So how do we uplift? How do we get people better during this time? And like I said, we still have, uh, what do we have? Nine games left in league, nine games left to get better and be playing our best basketball as we head towards March. And that's what our focus has been on. And um, if you look at most coaches, all of them have been through some type of tough year at some point or another throughout their career. And uh, so this is we're not above that. It's not like it can't happen to us. And now, how do you fix that? And how do you continue to improve?
since you mentioned that you you do look at other teams and other other uh, coaches and what happens, I got to ask you uh, what you saw from across the gym. Not necessarily, you know, uh, not literally there, but Juju Watkins scoring fifty one points. What what is you know when you watch her play? And I don't know if you got a chance to watch the game in uh, in live or or not, but uh, seeing her put up something like that, breaking the all time record in with in such a historic program with so many greats. What does that mean for the women of Troy? And you know, what is it? You know, what is that extra attention? You know, does that that even help you guys with the extra attention she's bringing in on the on the women's side? Yeah, I don't know if the attention she's bringing in helps us, so to speak, but because we're two different entities, right? But mm-hmm. I did go back and watch her highlights, and they were just incredible. Look, she's a great player. At one point, I happened to go because I do follow the scores, and it was forty three thirty five. And I think she had 37 of the 35 points, right? That's incredible. That's incredible. And look, I think they probably knew that when they recruited her, she was one heck of a player. And she's lived up to that. And she was out there making shots. She got to the free throw line. She gets easy baskets. She's just a really mature scorer at this point of her, you know, of her progression as a freshman. And um, what she did the other night was incredible. And she's done it all year to her, you know, to her credit. And uh, the team seems like they're bought in around it as well. Whenever you have someone who can do that shotgun, you always got a chance. So as you saw, when you go to Stanford, like it's not an easy place to win. They're really good. But she took over. And that's what really, really, really good players do. And when you have someone like that, you always have a chance. And so it'll be cool to watch them as they move forward because they're going to have a chance regardless of who they play because they have someone who can go out there and really, really score it at a high level with a lot of attention on her. And ultimately, that makes the game easier for everybody around her. So she's mm-hmm. going to make people better too. And, you know, that was a, that was a special performance and really cool to see. And she's had a heck of a year and, and props to her and, and the women's team in general, because they've had a great season. Well, we'll see if, uh, if Boogie Ellis can get fully healthy, uh, see, because we've seen those streaks of his where mm-hmm. he catches fire and, you know, has put up 30 or 35 in games. So, oh. He's got he's got a target now. You know that that fifty one is the most in the men's or women's program at USC in USC history. So uh, he's got something to shoot for. You know, and like you said, it, one person can carry you on a night against any opponent. So uh, getting him fully healthy is, is a big part of it. Getting Isaiah Collier healthy. We hope to see you guys get fully healthy as the season plays on. Uh, just because we want to see what what the potential of this group actually is, and you know if you guys can finally get to fully health for more than two games. We saw it for two games and, and you'll, you'll get to face those same two opponents this week in Stanford and Cal and it looked really good. And now we'll see, uh, you know, if Isaiah Collier comes back and you get him up to speed, what you guys can look like for the rest of the season. We're looking forward to it though, Cap. No, I appreciate it. Shotgun. That's our hope too, is get healthy, maintain our health and play our best basketball at this time of the year. So we'll see. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the USC Triple Double Podcast. With that, we'll jump into our break, and then Connor and I will return with a little deeper look at the last week action for the USC men and women. We'll also take a look forward at the upcoming matchups for the next week. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Welcome back from the break. Make sure to check out our sponsors. Also, please like, subscribe, and review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. Also, if you have any questions, comments, requests, you can send them into podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put triple-double or basketball pod in the headline to make sure it gets directed to us. Tell us how do you compare Juju's performance. Tell us, do you think the men's basketball team is actually going to go on a run? We want to hear some feedback from you guys. Maybe we'll put it. We'll do a, a question and answer uh, pod here before too long, get you guys involved once again. Um, but, you know, we really appreciate Chris Capco taking the time. And I asked him for 15 minutes, and he gave me 25. And he, he's great. Uh, you know, it's always fun talking to him. And I always end up going way over time. Uh, so I really appreciate him for for sticking in there and, and continue to chat with me. Didn't even get to ask him about Kobe Johnson. That's another guy I wanted to ask about. Um, but, I, you know, I felt like I had pushed my limit on, on the time there. But, but Connor, what stood out to you about what we uh, what I chatted with uh, Chris Capco about? Well, last week we went back and forth wondering if Isaiah Collier was going to play again this season with the broken hand. And Chris Capco didn't say definitively when he'll be back. But it, it sounds like Isaiah, if he's not back this week, he'll certainly certainly be back the following week. And he could even be back as soon as USC's game on the road against Cal on Wednesday. So I, I thought that was the biggest uh, piece of news from the interview. And that's going to be a big boost to USC, even with Bronny James and Ozias Sellers sort of coming on here a little bit, Boogie Ellis getting healthy again. I think when the offense has been as bad as it's been for USC at times, getting another guy who can create opportunities for teammates and when his shots falling, connect on threes will be huge. He's the number one recruit in the country. So just bringing him back, regardless of what his skill set is, is obviously going to be really important. And I, I thought that was my, my biggest takeaway. It sounds like Isaiah, it's not a matter of if he's going to return. It's a matter of when. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see how they kind of, Put him in there. You know, you mentioned how well that three guard lineup played against Oregon State. Now that was just one game, and we've seen things work for one game, and the next game it'd be, you know, come out just completely flat and, and you fall on their face in, in some aspects. Um, so do you throw him back in there? Do we see the original starting lineup from the beginning of the season? Does his return with Boogie Ellis being back and being a week healthier, does that help spark Kobe Johnson? You know, I, I think there's a lot of interesting, you know, uh, some movement that could happen here. Do we see Ozias Sellers continue to get as much playing time as he has recently? Because he's really shined with that extra playing time more than probably anyone else. And he was the guy that was kind of the odd man out as far as the minutes when, you know, all three of those, you know, original starters were playing well earlier in the season. You know, it was coming at the, you know, at, at, it costing him minutes um, in the overall, uh, overall run of things. So, where the who who gets the minutes? That's going to be the part. And does that just spark a little bit more competition? And you know, Andy Enfield had a pretty quick hook on Sunday against Oregon State, and they kind of told everybody, "Hey, if you're not rebounding, you're not doing this on defense, you're getting pulled out immediately." Now we may put you back in 30 seconds later, but we're going to pull you out to remind you of your mistakes. Do you see that? You know, continue going forward. You know, those type things that are, is what you wonder when you add another piece back there, back in, um, especially such a dynamic piece like Isaiah Collier. And I thought it was interesting. At, this is not necessarily from the Capco interview, but if you if you rewatch the game at all, um, I think it was Don McLean was calling the game, and he was talking about Isaiah Collier, and it was either Thursday or Sunday. I don't remember which game. He's talking about how the different perspective you get when you're injured and you're sitting on the bench. Uh, you know, there's times when you're out, and you you know you or there's times when you're not playing during the off season or whatever, and that's one thing. And you can watch a lot of film. But it's different when you're sitting on the bench during a season and you're not playing and you're seeing the different actions from a different 
point of view, I think, and especially for a freshman. Does he come back and maybe he's picked something up? Now, he did get hurt in high school during kind of the, the summer between his junior and senior year. Uh, he missed some of the time, some of the AAU ball and stuff like that. When he came back, he was an absolute menace. He was a menace on both sides. He was a defensive whiz. He was getting steals everywhere. He was out to prove he was the number one player in the country. And he did that. You know, there's a lot of talk about, oh, who's it going to be? There's, it was very open-ended going into the senior year, into that the senior summer. And he really took the throne when he came back from an injury there and really was outstanding. Do we see something similar? You know, USC could definitely use that. So that'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think that was the biggest news to come out of the interview with Cap is that, you know, they expect Isaiah Collier back potentially this or hopefully this week and potentially even on Wednesday. So and it's unfortunate for them that they don't get an extra day, you know, with a, with a Wednesday start. Uh, he, he pointed out to me before or after the, the interview that, you know, they've had three or four Wednesdays this year. Um, and that just makes it that much more difficult when you're traveling on Tuesday. So I don't know. Do you think that's a good thing for them to have a shorter week coming off of a big win over Oregon state or when, you know, you get back, you just want to get right back to it. Or would you like to kind of build off of it with some more practice time, even, uh, you know, negating the, the Isaiah Collier extra day of potentially getting him back. It's a good question. I, I think if the extra day means that Isaiah can play, that's probably the best case scenario, but the way that three guard lineup played, I kind of think to what you said about coming back and playing as soon as possible. I think that, might be important for USC. And I hope Andy Enfield sticks with Ronnie and Oziah and Boogie if Isaiah isn't able to go. And nothing against Kobe Johnson, but I just think it's so clear on offense right now. He is just, for whatever reason, not very confident and it's not coming to him easy. I mean, he missed that dunk. That sort of summed up how he's playing on offense right now. I wonder maybe even if USC could have gone to that lineup a little bit earlier because it's not like Kobe Johnson's been lighting the world on fire for a few weeks now. He, he really hasn't played well in, in a little bit. So to answer your question, I, I, I kind of like that they're playing so quickly after that big Saturday win, because I think they kind of found something a little bit. It's easy to say that when you play the team that's tied with you in the basement of the PAC 12 at home, that's sort of the best possible game you're going to play. So <laughs> I, I need to see it a little bit more consistently, but how USC won that game was really impressive. And I think that's significant too. It was an easy game, so to speak, but they nothing's been easy about the season for the last few weeks. I think that's really big. And it just kind of seemed like to me, you, you had something there with Bronny Oziah and, and Boogie Ellis. So I, I hope USC and Enfield roll with that. And I'm excited to see what they look like against Cal because the way the season's gone, I, I could see him playing really well based off of last game, but I could also see him struggling and then maybe not turning the corner like we anticipated. So it's a massive game for the Trojans Wednesday. I just think for a, for a million reasons from Isaiah to just the hope for the remainder of the season, it's obvious they're going to have to win the PAC 12 tournament here to get into the NCAA tournament with the way the year's gone. Can they start playing good basketball? That's what everyone wants to know. And the next test is Wednesday night. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they kind of go about that lineup for sure. Um, and can they get on a run? I think that's going to be an interesting part of it too. We're going to skip over to, let's just go straight to our stunting like my daddy. Let's talk about Bronny uh, because you mentioned him in that guard lineup. And, you know, we saw probably his best week of basketball, you know, 13 assists to two turnovers, the last two games. That was outstanding. 
He's playing good defense, good on-ball defense, good help defense, all those things, and just taking care of the basketball. And that was something that was such a struggle for them during that losing streak. To get Boogie Ellis back, that plays a big part in it. But he seems to have taken a little bit of a step. What did you see out of Bronny this week? Yeah, all along I've thought he just needs to play more basketball. He just needs to play more basketball. And, of course, in the summer when he deals with the heart condition and that delays everything, and Chris Capto talked about he just needs to play more basketball. And I think with some of these assists that we see shotgun, like I think he's one of the smarter, maybe even the smartest basketball player on this team. So, some of the assists he makes, it's like, okay, like – I, I can see why he's an NBA prospect. I can I can see why he's eventually going to be coveted at the next level, regardless of, of who's in his family. Some of those assists are, are really, really eye-popping and really, really impressive. And the next step for him is just performing more consistently, which I think that was obviously always going to be the case because of he's only played 14 games and he just hasn't played a lot of basketball lately with his injury history. So I've been really impressed with just a few of the assists here and there. It's like, okay, that was a next level play. That was something that I don't think a lot of other players on the team, maybe even in the Pac-12 could do. And so that's impressed me. I still think of shooting, that's still coming along a little bit. But the assist numbers and just the smart basketball plays that he's made these last couple of games, that's something that I think is really significant for him and something he can build on. And if this team goes on a run, I think he's going to be a big part of it because of his heady plays, his good defense, and just when he has the ball in his hands, I, I think he's a creator and, and the type of creator that not a lot of other teams have. He, he's a very smart player, and I'm excited to see more. Yeah, and the, the passes you're talking about aren't like the fancy behind the back or between someone's legs or some super highlight play. It's just you can see that he's thinking one step ahead, and you don't always see that at this level. And some, you know, actually, I've seen it a couple of times this season where he's anticipated what a smarter play, a smart defender would do. And the defender doesn't do that because that doesn't always happen at this level. Um, and, you know, it's like the guy who gets an interception for being in the wrong place because the quarterback was, you know, was thinking that he would do the right thing. Uh, so we, I've seen that a couple of times where it's like, oh, I can see what he's thinking there. And that's why that play didn't work. Um, but yeah, you know, with all the stresses, all the the attention, he continues to be super low key with everything. The assist turn the assist to turnovers were was spectacular this week, like we said, thirteen to two. But also contributing in other elements. You know, he, he was he was plus eighteen against Oregon State in twenty nine minutes. That's solid. Um, you know, a lot of guys were plus in this game. Um, and then against Oregon, he was negative one in his twenty two minutes. When you lose by nine points, if you're negative one, you know there was only a couple players that were in the positive in this game. So that also stood out. He's getting some rebounds for them both ends of the court. He had two and two offense and defense against Oregon. He had uh, was a one and two against uh, Oregon State. So doing that, and then on the defensive side, he's getting a steal or, or a block every game. It feels like as well. So you know he's contributing in multiple aspects, and that's what we kind of expected. And he's getting some minutes and making the most of them. Not trying to do too much. I like the fact that he knocked down a couple threes against Oregon. Now, didn't wasn't able to follow it up against Oregon State, but the shots still look good. 
You know, it's not like he's airballing a bunch of shots or anything like that. The shots do look good uh, compared to some of his other teammates that are in shooting slumps. You know, his shot looks like it's going in pretty much every time. Whereas other guys shoot it and you're like, oh, here we go. We'll see what happens on this one uh, when the ball leaves our hand. So he's playing really well right now. Let's move on to our triple-double. We got to get to the women here. So we got we to gotta go ahead with the man. What do you got? Three positives, two negatives. They've only got one win, so we can't – we'll just try to speed it up, I guess. Sure. The Oregon State performance overall, just really good team basketball, getting everyone involved. That was great to see. That was my my first. This year, USC's just needed players to, to step up, and I thought Kajani Wright stepped up, and Harrison Hornery in the second half stepped up. Guys who maybe haven't always been as reliable, you got big performances from them. So just overall as a team, I thought that was a nice win. My other up is based on the Chris Capco interview and just based on what I've observed in the the pregame stuff, Isaiah is definitely coming back. So that is another big, important development for USC. And then my last two, the young guys as offensive players in regards to Bronny James as a facilitator and Oziah Sellers as a scorer, Bronny with a 13 assist, two turnovers, and then Oziah Sellers, 24 points, 10 of 19 shooting the last two games. Earlier, Shotgun, you were talking about Oziah and what the guard lineup will look like when everyone's healthy. I think he's played himself into a role regardless of of who's going to be out there. I think he's been that good for USC lately and he deserves some time. Yeah. 10 of 19 last week. He's efficient, you know, with, you know, with his scoring, he had 12 points, I think in both games. So not like he's going off for 25 necessarily in every game, but it's not like he's jacking up a bunch of shots either. He's shooting, you know, if you're 10 from 19, that's a really good performance for a guy who's known as a shooter, not necessarily a scorer, not a guy that's going to get fouled a ton. Uh, but he's also doing a good job, I thought, and, and Capco mentioned it, of him driving to the basket when guys are trying to now take away that jump shot and try to close on him really hard, drive to the basket, you know, feed other guys if need be. But he's also finished a couple times at the rim with a left hand and, and stuff like that. So I had his efficiency – and also his strong defense the last couple of games. I really liked his on-ball defense of Jordan Pope. Bronny James also had, had really good there. Um, but then off the ball, I thought he was really chasing well around screens and stuff, and that's something he hasn't always done. You know, that's an effort thing, you know, and shooters aren't always the guys willing to be giving you the most effort on the defense when you're chasing through a lot of screens, and that's something that maybe Isaiah Collier sees on, on the bench and says, hey, I need to do that as well, or, you know, whatever it may be. They're rebounding the last three halves. This is my biggest positive of all. They out-rebounded Oregon State. Yeah, they out-rebounded them. They out-rebounded them by 20. By 20. That's, you know, they attacked the glass on both 20 offensive rebounds. And you mentioned DJ Rodman uh, earlier and the fact that he had 14 at the same time that Oregon State had 14. So you have one guy that's equaling everybody, but it wasn't just that. It was the second half of the Oregon game as well. They were dominating the first half. It was the same old, same old, what we've been seeing. And whatever happened during halftime, maybe it was partly just Oregon. You know, they're up and they they feel like they're going to win this game, even though it was only, a, I think, a seven-point game at halftime. But they out-rebounded them in the second half 21-14. So if you can do that consistently, or at least just break even with – you know, with the bigs that they have that aren't necessarily 20 rebound guys going to give you a 15 rebound performance here and there type of thing. Like they don't need that, but can you just, can you even out? Can you take away the offensive rebounds of the other team? And I thought they really did that the last three halves. I mean, and like you mentioned, everyone contributed. That was my third positive in that Oregon state game, but also in the Oregon game, there were, you know, the fact that you had 17 from boogie 12 from Ozai sellers. And then you had five other guys with at least six points. 
you know, if they can get consistent scoring so that it doesn't force Boogie Ellis to go off every night or it doesn't force Isaiah Collier when he comes back, hey, we got to have 15 from you and 20 from you every single game, then, you know, they'll have a much better chance of winning this game. So if everybody can give them six or eight, then they're not going to end up finishing with 50 points against UCLA again. So I, I thought that was really big too. How about on the negative side? What are two negatives from this week of action? In the Oregon game, it just followed a familiar pattern of the six games where USC lost in a row. Just bad end of the first half, and then second half getting down by too many points. Where even when USC they had they kind of made it interesting at the end, but they were just down too many points. So I, I just thought in that losing streak that the games all sort of followed a, a similar theme, or at least a lot of them did a bad end of the first half. And then in the second half, the game kind of gets away from you. Then it doesn't matter how you finish because you're, you're kind of out of it. And I thought the Oregon game followed that pattern and that was disappointing to see. And then the other one, it's a little bit funny shotgun, but I have to bring up Arrington page fouling out, picking up three <laughs> fouls in 51 seconds to begin the second half against Oregon State. Didn't really end up mattering, obviously, with USC rolling Oregon State. But Arrington Page, he's a guy I just want to see play more. And he would have played a lot in that second half if he didn't foul out. Andy Enfield, uh, after the game, joked about how he set the record for picking up three fouls in 51 seconds. And we could laugh about it because USC won. But I, I don't think that's a great thing, obviously. And hopefully he learns from it and that doesn't happen again. Yeah, I have both of those on there as well. The end of the half strikes again. Arrington Page fouling out a minute of the second half. And it's disappointing because, like you mentioned, he needs those minutes. And th- that game is a perfect opportunity. Hey, you're going up against a seven-footer that they have. You're going up a big body. So there's different body types for him to go against as well, which I think is important for him to get th- those extra experiences. And just the extra minutes. He's going to play almost every minute of that second half. You're going to rotate guys in. But he's going to play a ton of minutes because he's one of those guys that you're going to play more than Joshua Morgan in a blowout. You're going to play Kajani Wright more. You're going to play Vincey, which you, you're going to play those young bigs much more than Joshua Morgan, much more than DJ Rodman, because those are the guys that need those extra playing time. Vincey, which needs as much playing time as possible after how much he's missed. So Arrington Page, and I thought he was showing some flashes. He, you know, he, he, he earned the start against Oregon. He plays eight. He had eight points on four, six shooting, knocked down a couple of jumpers. One, I think he had his toe on the line. Uh, he had three rebounds, two on the offensive end. He had four blocks. I mean, he was doing it on both ends. I was really impressed with with what he did. And then in the the Oregon State game, early in the first half, he's making an impact, kind of doing a little bit of everything. He had three assists. Um, so, you know, he, he was making some plays happen. So that was why it was pretty disappointing when that happened for sure. And then since you had already mentioned the end of the half, I'll, I'll go to Kobe Johnson, six points for the week on three of 17 shooting. Um, you know, he, he didn't get into the game until about five minutes to go in the first half. And, you know, was that just the coaching staff giving him a breather? Was that sending a message? Was that just Ozai Sellers is playing better and Bro- and Bronny James is playing better and Boogie Ellis is going to be in there regardless when he's healthy. So, you know, maybe that was sending a message to him, say, hey, if you want playing time, you got to start playing as good as these other guys, you know, what they're doing. And I, I think, unfortunately for Kobe, it's it's – it's we had high expectations for him, right? And especially after the summer, and he looks so good. He was knocking down a shot. He was knocking down the open shot. He hasn't knocked down the open three this season. That's one of the, been one of the biggest struggles. They've asked him to do more than he probably should be asked to do on the offensive end, especially when Isaiah and Boogie were down. You know, he's not that guy to be the the sole creator for them. But he's got to be. He's got to be able to knock down that three if he wants to be a next level guy. He knows that. 
And so now it's gotten to the confidence has sunk. You can tell, you know, when you miss the dunk, you know, and he had a smile on his face, but you can tell it was disappointing to miss a dunk like that in that situation. But it's also carried over to his defense. I don't know if he's necessarily trying to create more offense by going after steals, but he's gotten himself in foul trouble at times this year by just attacking, you know, people's hands a little bit too much and, you know, not playing great off ball defense. He's been backdoored a couple of times because he's looking for the potential to go get a steal. Uh, so a lot of things just, and it feels like it's been a snowball a little bit. And maybe, maybe him sitting out is a reset for him, you know, sitting out a lot of that Oregon state game, maybe that's a reset and he comes back and he's fresh this week and they can insert him back in. And, you know, Isaiah Collier comes back and maybe you get old, the old Colby Johnson back and we'll see what happens. You know, you know, that, that would be ideal for them. If they can carry the team they expected to have into this back half of the, the conference play, because like I mentioned, and I wanted to bring it up, the schedule is much different in the second half than it is the first half. You know, I didn't really realize this at the time, but looking at the schedule day, I was like, Oh, okay. Who they play after Cal and Stanford. Okay. They've beaten Cal and Stanford. Neither one of those is a treacherous play to go place to go play. Now both teams are playing pretty well. Stanford looked really good in the first half against Arizona. Uh, Cal looked really good against Arizona state, but those teams are both beatable. Then you come home and you have the mountain schools. Neither one of those teams has set the world on fire. Utah has been really good, but not necessarily great on the road. Colorado has just not lived up to the expectations I kind of had for them. They've got quality pieces, but you're playing them at home. So instead of playing the mountain road trip, this half of the schedule, you play those at home, play UCLA cross down. Doesn't really matter. You go to the Washington schools. That's your toughest road trip remaining is the Washington schools. I'll take that all every day of the week. And then you get Arizona state and Arizona at home. So it is a much easier half of the schedule conference schedule than it was the first half. Can they build momentum and take advantage of it? That'll be the big question. And it all starts on Wednesday when they play Cal, because you you have this great win against Oregon state, you win by 30 points, you go up there and lay an egg and it just all comes tumbling right back down. I totally agree. And I think it's the next four shotgun, all winnable games in my opinion, but with how USC's played this season, they're probably all losable games as well. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think that the team has earned the benefit of the doubt with one big win against <laughs> Oregon state. Um, so I, I I'm with you though. Like that, they, they do have a chance to, to play better basketball between getting healthy and, and just the schedule easing up. And if, if they don't take advantage here, that will really, really concern me. And even if they don't fully take advantage, if, if they go like three and one, I think that would still tell me something just because wins have been so tough to come by. I just look at the next four games. No one's ranked. The, the road games are easier than they would be if you were playing Utah and Colorado on the road. That obviously uh, would be tougher than playing Cal and Stanford on the road, in my opinion. So I think these next four, I don't want to say determine the season because it's all about the Pac-12 tournament, but they, they'll at least – either get you feeling a little bit better heading into it or business as usual of not feeling as good. Yeah. And the fact that the, the way they want to get Oregon state, I want to bring this up because you mentioned it earlier because they didn't do that against Brown. They no. won by 11. They didn't. I mean, they beat Eastern Washington pretty bad, but that's a God awful team. They lost to Long Beach state. They went to Alabama state and they won by 20, but that was a game where it was, you know, 14 to 18 points the entire game. They never pulled away. You know, they should have beat that team by 30. Uh, you know, you lose against Oregon State, all those type things. That was a that was the team we expected to see, to be honest. 
the team we saw on on Saturday against Oregon State. Now, do we see that team anymore this season with Isaiah Collier coming back? We see a team even potentially better. That was all feasible. And that's what has been so disappointing about this season is that they've not, not lived up to the possibilities. And we've seen those bits and pieces. And it started at the very beginning. The game against Kansas State, that's probably the best game of the season still. Um, you know, the way they played and the fact they played against such a quality opponent to open the season, you know, that's when you're like, oh, okay, this team could do something. Uh, and it is not played out that way. So we'll see if, if, if Saturday becomes that jumping point or if it all comes crashing down one more game, but we're going to be optimistic for now and we'll see next week if we have the same tone or not. Uh, but let's move on. Let's move to our juice, juice, and we'll start with Zay. Isaiah Carter, we've mentioned him. The fact that he may be back this week. I wanted to mention one thing that I saw. His energy that he has shown supporting his teammates on the bench. This is why when you asked me last week, do you think he just shuts it down? You know, you think he's going to come back and play despite the injury? Someone's going to get in his ear. He's too much of a competitor to me, but I just love the fact the energy he's had. And then Chris Capco talking about the, the team chemistry and the fact that that's, you know, that they haven't, They've got good kids, and that's why they haven't, you know, just all this whole thing hasn't blown up, um, even though things have not gone the way anticipated. And I just love seeing his energy. And uh, my roommate, I was watching the game. My roommate, she she said, uh, said, oh, I see you smiling. And I was like, they're having fun. Like, it's that's the thing that's been missing so much from this. So, you know, it made me smile to see them having so much fun. And Isaiah Collier definitely being on the bench. He's one of the guys doing that, too. I certainly noticed that too, being in the building. I, I tweeted about it after we were texting shotgun. You pointed that out to me. And because early in the game, Chris Capco, especially against Oregon. So the game before more so he, he was just angry. And there were a lot of defensive mistakes, which he alluded to in the interview. He talked about how those defensive mistakes were at the wrong time. And he was just really frustrated with the team. And the vibe from that Oregon game was not as good. And then a couple of days later, just to see it totally turn that was encouraging. And yeah, Isaiah Collier, he's dancing. He, he's doing the the thing that they do with the layup when you put your hand up in the air and everyone's loving it. So that, that was really cool to see. And now the question is, can they continue with these good vibes, the good energy, keep playing better? One game isn't going to solve all their problems, of course. Him coming back should help. There's just so many questions with the team, and I hope they keep playing better because then it's a lot more fun to talk about than, oh, another loss. Here, here are all the negatives. It's it's better to talk about a winning team. So I hope uh, they can turn it around, and he'll certainly be a big part of it. So let's talk about a winning team, the women of Troy, the other half of the Juice. And I wanted to start there because Juju, Juju, Juju. Like I, I feel like someone should have started that chant in Maples Pavilion because everyone was already in awe of her there. Uh, you know, that was the thing. And you can actually hear it on the broadcast of, you know, it's not booing her, but every time she make a shot, it was just like, oh, like it's just every one of them seemed like it hit. And they were just like, oh, again and again and again. And she just kept going. I mean, 51 points, a 50 burger Let's start there. Just what stood out to you, whether it, it the performance itself, everything surrounding the performance, you know, the Lindsey Gottlieb, I, I, we'll start even before the game itself. Lindsey Gottlieb said, uh, you know, we talked to her last week about managing her workload. Uh, I guess they didn't have to worry about the workload uh, before that because she said that she got a call from security over the weekend after the Washington game. Um, 
from Galen Center is like, uh, do you Juju's still in here? Do you want us to kick her out? And they're like, she said, that's just you being Jew. So let her go, let her do her thing. That's the way she's working through her struggles. And she she found something. I don't know what it was necessarily in the gym what late night at Galen Center, but she found something because she was amazing against Stanford. You retweeted it. The biggest stat that stands out to me, so 51 of USC's 67 points, which is 76%. That's the highest percentage a player scored in a D1 game over the last 25 seasons. So obviously the best performance of this year, but historically good when you put it in that context. And maybe that has a little bit to say about the rest of the USC team in that game because they did not get much scoring for anyone else. But man, oh man, Juju put the team on her back in that game. And then she's also the first player in the last 25 seasons to score 50 points against an AP top five team. That's home or away. She did it away. So that makes it even more impressive. And the thing that really stood out to me, shotgun, I watched the game Saturday morning and when a player gets hot, it's like kind of clear that, okay, like it's going to be her game. And I, I just like in the third quarter, that was really the only time where I thought, Oh wow. She's like scoring every point. She, she, she's hot right now. She, she's doing amazing. Like she, she did it in, in the, most respectful and nicest way possible. Like it was, it, it, am I wrong to say it was like a quiet 51, like early in the game. It was, it wasn't like, okay, this is going to be a historic performance. She was just going out there making shots. The jumper was falling. And at the end of the game, getting to 51, the follow shots, the team freaking out on the bench, that was all awesome. But I I felt like she maybe even could have scored more if, if that makes sense. And that just shows how talented she is, how much of a once-in-a-generation player she is. USC, they still shot pretty low from the floor as a team because no one else could score. I think that kind of played into it, too. Like, she was really the only offense, and no one else could could hit shots. And I, I, I just felt like it was an incredible performance in that regard because usually when a guy or a girl is scoring at, at that level, it's like, in your face, three, in your face, okay, historic game and I just felt like for Juju it was kind of business as usual maybe that wasn't your observation <laughs> but that's sort of my takeaway do you know what I'm saying at all or, or do, you, do you need me to explain more <laughs> no I mean I, I guess I, I see what you're saying I mean I think part of it is it's what she does yeah exactly like she, she scored 12 in the first quarter it's not like she had a 20 point quarter anytime 12 in the first quarter 13 in the second quarter 15 in the third quarter and 11 in the fourth quarter yeah like, She's done that pretty consistently at least one quarter every game. She'll be in double figures. So it's just she just continued doing it each quarter. And she even said she, you know, she looked it up at halftime. It's like, oh, I got 25. Oh, I might have score 50. And sure as hell she did. <laughs> um, I, first, let's look at the numbers real quick. She was 14 of 26 from the floor. That's, I mean, I think she was like, she was 13 of 22 going into the fourth quarter. So she's only one of four in the fourth quarter. Didn't shoot great in the fourth. Six of 11 on threes. And then 17 of 19 from the free throw line. So she took 26 field goals and scored 51 points. She almost scored two points for every single shot she took. I mean, she scored 51 points in 34 minutes. She got two fouls almost immediately. Like three or four minutes into the game, she's got two fouls. And you're like, oh, no. 
And what's USC going to do? And especially when you see everyone else struggling to shoot so much in the first quarter, she was three of seven. The rest of the team was one of 10. Like if she picks up a third foul at any point in that first half, she's going to the bench in the second quarter, she goes six of seven. The rest of the team was two of 11. Like they, no one else did anything besides her and it, and Stanford threw everything at her. Like the defense has kept switching. And I think that's part of the reason that the Stanford kind of got out of their own game on the offensive end is because they were so like frazzled. Like, what do we, what do we do? We've been throwing, they, they put LaPolo on her. They put uh, a jump on her. They put, uh, uh, they just had people coming to Ogden played her are pretty good in the fourth quarter, but they just kept throwing different players at her, Agara, and like no one could do it. You couldn't stop her. She was in the zone. And it was one of the most impressive performances I've seen, you know, because I haven't, you know, I haven't, I don't think I've been watching necessarily a game like the entire game when someone goes off for 60 or 70 in the NBA or Kobe's 81 points or something like that. Like, I don't like, I like, Oh, someone's got 60 in the third quarter or something like you. Okay. Let me tune in. But I don't think I've been watching the full course of a game like that. So it was super impressive uh, in every aspect, but I think part of it, yeah, fifty-one I, I, points in thirty-four minutes. That's the number that stands out the most to me. I think part of it, too, shotgun. Like we see Carl Anthony Towns score sixty-plus in an NBA game, but he's not efficient. He does it on a million shots, and they lose. And the uh, Kobe last game, the eighty-one shots or the eighty-one points, not very efficient. He took so many shots in that game. I need to pull up the numbers, but he, he like took. Crazy amounts of shots in that one. And, and and for USC, I think what I meant was like every time someone scored, it was Juju, but it, it wasn't like, okay, it, it, it didn't look out of sync. It, it looked like, okay, she's just going to do her thing, and tonight it's going to be 51. Whereas I think when we've seen these other big-time performances on the men's side, it's either crazy amount of field goal attempts and just like obviously, okay – they're shooting this every time. And I still felt like she made the right play a lot of the time, even if it didn't lead to a made bucket. Like I didn't really feel like at the time she was forcing things. And you see a lot of people forcing shots when they have the hot hand. So just to finish up my point, like the quiet 51 points, I, I don't think that's right to say 51. That's loud. That's vibrant. That's in your face. That is a crazy, crazy number. But I think when you see these other players across basketball have these big scoring outputs, it, looks a little bit different. And for her, I I thought she did it in her own way. And, and, and she did it in a manner that was like just even more impressive because she was so efficient and because it just looks so natural. Yeah. And I think the efficiency is a part of why it maybe sounded quiet is because while in one regard, you'd be like, well, she may almost, it felt like she's making everything, but she only made 14 shots. Like she only shot 26 compared to you brought up Kobe's last game. He actually scored 60 that one. That's not the 81. The yeah, 81 was against the Raptors. He scored 60 yeah. in his final game. And his shooting wasn't terribly inefficient, but he shot 50 attempts. Yes, that, that's what I was referencing. Thank you. So he shot 50 attempts. She shot 26. Now he scored nine more points. USC, let, let's go ahead and real quick give a, a shout out to, to Ryan Forrester or – is it Forster or Forstier? I can't remember. Um, Lindsey Gottlieb told us earlier in the season, but uh, USC women of Troy commit. She put up 60 in a pl- double or triple overtime or double overtime. I can't remember. Um, loss uh, last month or earlier this month. 
62 points in a double overtime loss, but she was 23 or 43. And that's still super efficient, but that's 43 points. Uh, so, you know, or 43 shot attempts, 17 more shot attempts to score nine more or 11 more points. Like that, it's, it's, the efficiency was, is mind blowing to me. The fact that she was 14 to 26. And again, on the road where USC never wins and against a team that USC rarely ever beats against a top five team. This isn't going on the road and beating, you know, you see, you know, whatever you see, anybody, you see whoever we can put together. This is Stanford. This isn't a random Cal state school. This isn't Sacramento state. This isn't Cal state Bakersfield. This isn't any of those. This is Stanford. This is the preeminent program on the West coast for 20 years now. This is the winningest coach in D1 history, not having a clue how to stop you. Just being like, we're throwing everything at, we're throwing in the kitchen sink and we can't find, we can't find an answer to it. So it's not like you're going against a first year head coach. Like there's so many things that are just eye popping about this game. And when you're watching it and like, you know, it, it stood out because they won too. Like I, I think Mackenzie Forbes, if you listen to the whole press conference, I think towards the end, she's like, at some point, I think Juju had like 38 or something. And she said in the huddle, she told everybody, it's like, Juju's got 38. We can't lose it. We can't lose this for her. Like, cause you don't want to, you know, have a great performance coming a loss. So like, we got to go out and, and finish this off. And she's on my positives. I'll get to that later. But, you know, she helped do that for sure. Uh, two more things that stood out to me outside of the game itself. How about the welcome back, the USC, the Trojan marching band waiting in the rain for the team to get back for their bus to come back from the airport um, after Sunday's game against Cal what a what a greeting that's and and Lindsay Gottlieb tweeted afterwards like this is what you know this is what you remember that's just that was phenomenal that was amazing and what perfect timing with today's release of the slam magazine she's on the cover the cover story the 30th year anniversary edition and she's on the cover so uh great timing for that one as well as well as all the social media love she got but the the band being there and playing through the rain and waiting for them that was that was special Amazing. I agree. And just to set the record straight so Lakers fans don't come at my head, I meant the last Kobe game ever because, of course, when he put up the the 81 points, he was super efficient, and that was like one of the best games of all time. So a mistake by me. But in that last game, it was 22 of 50. Like you said, scored 60 points on 50 shots. What Juju did, totally different, just just way more efficient. To your point about the band, I mean, I also think that – was was a special part of a, a special season. I, I think the fact that USC went on to beat Cal too after starting slow and sweeping that road trip, of course, Juju scoring 51 points and beating Stanford, that makes it a special season. But I thought beating Cal in the next game sort of like cemented it. Like USC, they're not just going to be a flash in the pan. This is a team that is actually really good. And Juju can score 51 one night and that's amazing, but we're also a damn good basketball team and we're going to take care of business. So I, I thought that was important too. And that sort of contributed to my feeling of, okay, USC really has a chance to do something special. And they always did with Juju, but winning that Cal game when it would have been easy to get distracted, take your foot off the gas, especially the way that game started mm-hmm. when they were down, just kind of like, okay, going one and one on this road trip, that's fine. They didn't do that. They buckled down, they got a win. And I thought that contributed to a special year as well, as did their great 
arrival back on campus with with the band in the rain that was amazing too and let's go ahead and jump into uh the the our triple double because i got stuff to say about that cal game so let's jump into it what are your three positives you take away from this week for the women of troy juju's 51 has to be the the first on the list so there it is and then how about the defensive performance from usc's big specifically against stanford shotgun i mean Cameron Brink, Kiki Iriafin, two of the best post players, not only in the Pac-12, but in the country. And USC, Caitlin Davis, Rhea Marshall, Clarissa Akinwafo, they did a, even a couple of them filed out, they did a, or maybe all three of them might have followed all out. Them yeah, yeah. They, they did an exceptional job when they were in the game to really limit the offensive numbers of those two bigs. Iriafin, 6 of 18. Cameron Brink, who affected the game in a million different ways, only four of 14. And that, I think, like, Juju won him the game, of course. But defensively, Stanford only shot 31.6%. That was their lowest on the season. And I think the recipe for USC this year is Juju does Juju things, and you play really good defense, and you'll have a shot. And we saw that, and I just want to shout out the Caitlin Davises, the Rhea Marshalls, the Clarissa Akinwafus who came in and they, the stat sheet might not show up, but they defended those bigs really well. And I thought that was outside of Juju's 51 points, a major, major story. And then in the Cal game shotgun, if you had told me that Juju Watkins was not going to score in the last five minutes and 30 seconds of the game, I would have told you they're probably going to lose based on how it started. And I thought that was important because USC starts the week against Stanford and Juju does everything on offense. And then against Cal, she's held scoreless in the last five minutes and 30 seconds. And USC, I think ends the game on an 11 to five run. And none of those points come from Juju and USC wins by 10. They play really well without her scoring. I didn't think they could do that on the road, especially. And that showed me a lot too. First to off that one. I did not even realize that. And then that tells you, because it was a two-point game at that point. It's not like, because USC won by 10, you're like, oh, maybe they were up by six or eight, and they just, somebody made some free throws. No, they made a bunch of free throws. They did do that. That was part of the reason why they were able to score. But you know, they got a huge, huge shot from Kayla Williams. Yep. And so that's that's the, my first positive. Kayla Williams making an impact versus Cal. She had six points, two rebounds, an assist, a steal. She was plus six in 17 minutes. You know, she had four of her points in that final – Five oh one is when she hit her three. She had a, she made a free throw later, so I, I thought she made a huge impact in her second most minutes this season. Like she hasn't played a ton of minutes. You know, I've mentioned her a couple times, and she can be a defensive spark plug. She can knock down threes. She didn't even play against Stanford. She's only played thirty one minutes in Pac twelve play coming up to that game. And last year she was a starter. She played her season low was fourteen minutes. Now she did that a couple times, but her season low was fourteen. She played 17 against Cal, and it's her second most of the season. So just being ready when your number is called, I think that stood out to me. And she was a part of you know that that run at the end for USC, like you said, 11 to five um, or 11 to 11 to three actually is what they finished the game on after Cal had pulled it back to two. And I didn't even realize Juju didn't score. And that that shows you that this team can you know, multiple people can do it. And that's one of the things, you know, we've been clamoring for on the show of, Hey, got to get a third score. doesn't have to be the same person every time, but I was really impressed with the fact that they had all five starters scored at least nine points. 
And then you have someone like Kayla Williams come off the bench and make an impact. And it doesn't have to be a huge impact offensively when five starters score nine points. But, you know, if everyone, you know, if you have all five basically scoring in double figures, you're going to win pretty much every game, especially when you have Juju to add on to, you know, you got 40 from the rest of the group. Now, whatever she adds, you play good defense, you're in a great spot. So I thought it was a terrific recipe and I thought, Everyone played pretty well after that first quarter. The first quarter was pretty atrocious for them. Came out <laughs> sluggish. They didn't play grid defense. They were getting whooped, to be honest. They gave up every 50-50 ball. Um, you know, Lindsey Gottlieb could not have been happy after that first quarter. But, and that's one of my negatives, so let me just go ahead and throw it out there. But I love the fact that they never panicked. They kept chipping away. They go on the run at the end of the first half. They, You know, they're right back in it. But then, beginning of the third quarter, Cal pulls away again. Again, they just kept chipping away, kept chipping away. They get their first lead uh, middle of the third quarter, and then it's back and forth the rest of the way until that final five minutes, and they pull it away without Juju scoring, which I didn't even realize because they did it with all five starters scoring nine-plus and Kayla Williams coming up and making some big plays late. If she can give them that with the key players that they've had on the bench with Malia Samuels, Akamwafu, Taylor Bigby, or Caitlin Davis, whichever one is coming off the bench, I think that just you know you're lengthening the the roster. You're giving each of those starters a couple extra minutes of rest. So I think finding another bench player, and if it's Kayla Williams, that you know that could be a potential. And maybe it's not her every game. Maybe it's Dominique uh, Dominique Darius one game. Maybe it's Malia Samuels for more time in one game. You know they could be a mix and match. Um, and so I, I thought it was really big. Also, I wanted to point out. You mentioned the post players. You mentioned they all three fouled out. How about the resiliency when those three post players fouled out? Brinkin and Riafin, you know, they finished 10 of 32 in the game. Now, if you look at their just scoring and rebounds, you'd be like, oh, they both had great games, right? Brink had 19 and 15. She also had like, I don't know, like eight blocks or something. She had three assists, but she had four turnovers. She was only four of 14 from the field. Um, and then Iriafin, like you said, was six of 18, which is is – better but still not very good nine rebounds but i didn't feel like they had a huge impact as big of an impact as they normally have in games so i I feel like they frustrated them some and they were taking shots and couldn't get it and then you know their their jump shooters weren't making jump shots outside of jump in the first half Uh, so i I thought the defense game plan worked really well there and mckenzie forbes has to take on mckenzie forbes and also give a lot of credit to to roxanne mccolo coming in has barely played. She didn't even play in the cow game. She plays seven minutes total. She's coming in. It's like, hey, you're going to have to guard Erie often, or hey, you're going to have to guard Cameron Brink. I know you're giving up six inches or whatever it is, but hey, can you just go in there? And she does whatever is asked. She she's the ultimate team player. TCU grad transfer is just you know throw her in there. She'll do whatever you need. Guard whoever you need, and she'll throw her body around and pick up some fouls or whatever it may be for you if you have to guard against a big because they had no bigs left. Uh, so that was super impressive, the resiliency they threw, they showed there. And then another resilient, McKenzie Forbes, like I mentioned, she was playing, you know, having to play D against them. She shot five of 18 in the game. But how about the impact plays that she had late despite struggling offensively? You, know, you struggle offensively, like, I'm supposed to be scoring. Juju's doing everything. I'm not contributing. No, she found a way to help. She had a huge, she ran down an offensive rebound in the corner, kept her balance, you know, finds a teammate. She had that huge shot with the shot clock running out. I think they were up by two or four. I think it was four. 
and she hits a huge shot, shot clock running out, trying to just draw the foul and puts it up there and makes it. And then she swats away somebody's shot on the other end. You know, she was just everywhere in the last like five minutes of the game. And so the resiliency this team has shown in that game and then later in the cow game is really really stood out recently, um, especially coming off of how, how much they had struggled uh, the, the four games before that. So I think uh, we got fiery Lindsay last week. I think the team played fiery. I think uh, she was able to motivate them this week. And even though they shot atrociously outside of Juju, I just looked up the numbers. They were seven of 38 in the game. They shot 18% besides Juju and they beat the number four team. Uh, I mean, that shows how incredible she was, but also, you know, the resiliency they played with down the stretch. I thought it was fantastic. All right. Any, any negatives that you come away with off of this uh, tremendous trip or do you anything you want to add to, to what I said? Just adding on to you look at the box score, it's astounding <laughs> from the Stanford game. Juju 51, Mackenzie Forbes, not a very efficient 12, but 12. Okay, fine. And then Clarissa Akinwafu, two, Ray Marshall, two. That's it. There's that's it. Outside of Juju and Mackenzie Forbes, you got four points and you won. Uh, I mean, it, it like it speaks to Juju's amazing game. So I hesitate to really call it a down, but I don't know if that's sustainable against a really good team on the road going forward, getting four points from everyone else outside of your top two scores, you're just going to need more, uh, but a hell of a game regardless. And I struggled to really talk about too many negatives in, in that one. I also think from high up above, just looking at who's playing more, who's not playing as much Taylor Bigby, one of nine on the trip, only three points. I wonder if as the season goes on, if she doesn't start playing a little better, maybe is she starting to to lose her role a little bit. She was out of the, she's been out of the starting lineup and we've seen some other players kind of come on. I thought she was going to be really important for them and could maybe even be that third scorer. And I'm not ruling that out. I just think right now you talk about how there are peaks and valleys. I think she's in a little bit of a valley right now and hopefully for her, she can bounce back. Yeah. I, I think the fact that, uh, you know, they're going up against two bigs against Stanford that probably played into the lineup of getting Kayla Davis back. And I think Kayla Davis is, is one of the, the biggest pieces of this team. I think she's such a key because she's such a swing defender of where she can kind of guard anybody on the floor. Um, And she's just so smart with the ball on the offensive end. She, she doesn't really look for her shot a ton. She can make a jumper, a mid range jumper. She can drive the ball. She's left-handed. So that makes it a little bit more difficult for, for opposing um, bigs trying to guard her, but she just does all the, the small things that you're looking for. Um, so I, I think that's part of the reason why, you know, she had missed time with a knee injury and I think she might've been part of the illness bug too. Uh, so she gotten back in the starting lineup. So I don't know if it necessarily says as much about big B struggling in the last couple games, if it does about Davis playing really well, she played great against Cal too. I think she had what, uh, nine, nine or 10 points on two or three shooting. Like she's super efficient cause she never like is really looking for a shot much, but then eight rebounds as well. I think she had a block or two. So I think that partly says more about her, but they need, they actually need big B. She's, I think she's a key piece too, cause she needs to be a zone breaker for her, for them. She's got to be able to hit the three. Same with Padilla. Those two need to be able to hit threes Um, in, you know, when, when McKenzie Forbes or Juju breaks down the defense and creates for, for their teammates, those need to be happening. Uh, my negatives were I'm still wanting more or at least more consistency from Kayla Padilla just because I think there's more in there. I know she can score. I want her 
to attack a little bit more and look for her shot on occasion rather than just settling and, you know, trying to serve everything up for Juju or McKenzie. Like I want her to be one that they're looking for, you know, against uh, Washington, you know, they ran some plays for, her. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind running some sets for her early in the game, get her an open look early and see if she knocks it down and, you know, can build off of that and keep going uh, rather than running everything McKenzie or for Juju. Cause a lot of stuff does go through them, obviously. And then the sluggish defense, like we said, against Cal to start the game well, was pretty disappointing after such a big game, not to be unexpected. And I did like the way that they bounced back from it, but it was still deflating when you give up 26 points in the, in the first quarter to a Cal team that's middling in the, in the middle of the pack in the pack 12, but they made up for it in the fourth quarter, only letting them score eight. They played great defense down the stretch and that was the most important part of it. I thought that game was interesting because Juju wasn't as efficient, but the rest of the team played a lot better. And like I said earlier, that game showed me just this team has taken a step because I don't know if they win that game a couple of weeks ago when they were in that funk and maybe even before that funk. I think when they weren't playing as well and they lost to Washington and we saw the fiery Lindsey Golly, but I just think that they're a completely different team now and it's Cal. They're not that good, but I really do think that was a significant win, which of course will get overshadowed by the Stanford game as it should. But people, when this season is done, however well USC does, I think this road trip and that Cal game is is a big part of it will be when people say, okay, that's sort of when we knew USC and they always had the chance to do something special with Juju, but that's when we knew that they could do it because we saw it. Yeah. And I want to say you, you mentioned that her final stats are inefficient. Uh, because her fourth quarter, she was two of seven. Yeah. Juju was, she was, she was 10 of 20 going to that point. So shooting 50%. So want to give her credit for that. She was super efficient for most of the game. And then the fourth quarter, um, you know, it wasn't falling for her. So, and that was, that was also the case against Stanford. She was only one of four in the fourth quarter there. So again, that may be the, you know, the fatigue factor, you know, still something we were definitely concerned and keeping an eye on as the season progresses. So she played all 40 minutes against Cal and, you know, she probably would have played all 40 against Stanford if she wasn't in foul trouble in the first half. I mean, again, 51 points in 34 minutes on 26 field goal attempts. Just just amazing. She was fantastic. But let's move forward. Can't We can't just uh, focus on that game forever, though. Wouldn't be a bad game to focus on for a long time. But let's move forward to this week's games, USC – Let's start actually with where they stand. Where are the women at right now as far as uh, rankings? Where are they at in the net? Where are they at in the standings? You know, they they had a chance to move up a couple spots when they when you go on the road and you beat the number one team. I think we'll see more movement after this week's slate of games if they do what they're supposed to do. But to answer your question, number 10 in the AP poll, 16th in the net rankings. The women of Troy are 6-4 and four in the pack, which is tied for 5th. There's a top six, and then there's a drop, and there's a bottom six. It's good to see USC in that top six. I think any time you get a win against a top six like US uh, top sixteen like USC did against Stanford, that's significant. We'll get to it in a second, but USC is going to play Arizona State and Arizona at home this week. Those should be two winnable games, and then I think you'll start to see a little bit of separation in terms of where USC ranks in the standings. 27th nationally in assist to turnover rate, 13th in blocks, ninth fewest turnovers per game at only 12. 
USC, they, they, they do what they do. They don't turn the ball over a lot. They play good defense and the scoring might not always be there. Juju, she can score 51. So she'll certainly provide it, but outside of her, it's going to be a little bit inconsistent. The blueprint though, shotgun, Juju does her thing. USC plays good defense. They're going to be in a lot of these games. Only 15 turnovers on the road trip. Two places, especially Maple's hostile environment. It's a great team. You only turn the ball over seven times, which led to four Stanford points off turnovers. Compared to Stanford turned the ball over 13 times and it led to 15 for USC. That was one of the big differences in the game as far as team stats go. Um, and, and then same thing against Cal. They had 22 points off Cal's 14 turnovers. So, it's they take care of the ball, but and then they also they punish you if you have a live ball turnover because then Juju gets out and opens the floor, and really there's not I, I haven't seen many players this year that are better than her in the open floor. Um, you know whether it's stopping and popping at the three point line, she's so good at just you know a meet just like stopping on a dime and being able to pull up. Like that's su- such a tough thing to do to be going full speed or you know be running and then just. Whoop, and then pull up and she's, she's pretty deadly with that's actually probably her best shooting percentage three pointers, I would say this season. Um, so it's been outstanding there. Uh, and like you mentioned, they will, they'll play the Arizona Steelers. We'll talk about that in a second. You mentioned there's a top six and a bottom six. There is that separation. They're currently tied for fifth with UCLA. It's uh, it's huge for them. Are they tied for fifth? I think they're tied for fourth actually. Um, I would have to look that one up, but it's huge to get in the top four. Because then you get a buy in the Pac-12 tournament, and you avoid, you know, you avoid the potential of having to play an extra day that you know the other teams don't have to to play. So getting in the top four is going to be huge. So that's the biggest thing they're striving for. Obviously, they want to win the title and all that type of stuff. But the secondary goal is make sure you get in the top four, so you avoid you know having to play on the Wednesday of the the Pac-12 tournament. Tied for fourth. I think that's the second week in a row I've messed up the standings. So uh <laughs> gotta get it together. <laughs> How about on the men's side? Where are the men sitting now? Shotgun, we have life in the net rankings. USC, they improved from one hundredth in the net to ninety-seventh. So <laughs> still not good, but improvement. We'll take it. Third uh three and eight in the pack, so tied for last with Oregon State. They're nine and thirteen overall. But we saw a significant jump in rebounding numbers nationally. USC, the last time we did this podcast, was 223rd in rebounding margin. They moved all the way up to 183rd because of the fact that they out-rebounded Oregon State by 20, and they had that great second half rebounding against Oregon, even though the result didn't go the way they wanted. And they're improving in other areas as well, 238th in scoring defense, which still isn't good, but better than where they were that they're giving up 73.9 points per game, 291st in turnovers per game, 13.4. They were worse earlier too with that. So signs of life, but got to continue to improve obviously because still long way to go. Hey, if they win their next nine games, they close out the regular season with the, oh, the 10 game winning streak. They'd be 12 and eight in conference. That'd be solid. They'd be 18 and 13 overall. And, a couple of wins in the Pac-12 tournament. Maybe you could actually lose the championship game of the Pac-12 tournament if you win 12 or 13 in a row to get there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what was Arizona State's record last year? They were like something kind of ugly like that, right? Like 17 to 12 or something. So There, there is a, a glimmer of hope there. But more importantly, it's about how they're playing because we all think that they still have to win the Pac-12 tournament. Um, I don't think... 
that massive run is going to necessarily happen, but we'll see. You never know. How about this week? Who are the Trojans playing? Who are the women of Troy playing? Start with the men at Cal Wednesday night, 8 o'clock, Pac-12 Network. Cal, they started poorly, bounced back a little bit, but they're struggling again. 13-10, and 3-8 and eight in Pac-12, which is 10th. USC beat Cal at the Galen Center in January. That was when a healthy Boogie Ellis and Isaiah Collier combined for 28 points and 14 assists. Bronny James scored 10 points in that one. Jalen Tyson for Cal led the Bears with 23 points, he averages 20 points per game and seven or 20.1 points per game and 7.3 rebounds per game. And then their big guy, gonna butcher his name, Fardaz Imak, scores 15 points and grabs 10.5 rebounds per game. Shotgun, how do you say his name? I'm sure you know better. Imak. Imak. Imak actually didn't do much anything against USC. No. I remember he he was just kind of uh, a ghost. Like he didn't try to do much. He didn't, you know, I don't know if rebounds just didn't come his way or whatever. But Tyson was getting whatever he wanted. So I think that's the big key for this game is can you slow down Tyson? If I remember, he's left-handed. So that's always – this is – it creates a different scouting report. Like, you know, trying to – you're so used to attacking right-handed players constantly, and then you get a lefty that can score, and, you know, they're, they're just different. And so they draw more fouls often because guys jump into them if they're jump shooters and whatnot. And I think that happened in that game. I think he had a three-pointer that USC fouled him a little bit early in the game, early in the first half. So it kind of – let him get three free throws and kind of see the ball go through the hoop and build off that as it went on. So I, I think that's the starting point. If you can slow him down a little bit and then we'll see what happens with, with Isaiah Collier. I mean, if you get 28 and 14 from a boogie and Isaiah Collier on Wednesday, I think, I think USC fans would take that. Absolutely. Do you want me to head to the Stanford game or do you want to just preview one game at a time? No, go for yeah. it. Okay. So the men then play Stanford seven o'clock on Saturday on ESPNU. I don't get ESPNU anymore since I moved, so I'll be watching <laughs> on my laptop, which I'm not happy about, but I know no one cares about that. Stanford's 11-10 and 10 on the year, but tied for third at 6-5 and five in the Pac-12. That just goes to show you what the Pac-12 looks like this year. USC beat Stanford at home 93-79 earlier this season. That, I think, was probably their best game yeah. of the year against a decent team. Isaiah, his best game, certainly in college, 26 points. Boogie, 22 points. Kobe, 21 points. I know we weren't expecting those three to score over 20 points in every game, but that, to me, sort of showed, like, at the beginning of the year when I thought about USC's big three, it was those three guys and producing something like that. And we saw it against Stanford. I haven't seen it much this year, but we saw it against Stanford. USC was 14-29 to 29 from three as a team in that one. Michael Jones scored 23 points for Stanford. Another guy who was kind of invisible was their leading scorer, Max Reynaud, who averages 14 0.6 points per game and 10 rebounds per game. He didn't really do much in that first contest. So he's certainly capable of doing more and he'll be a tough matchup for USC in that second game Saturday. Yeah. The fact that he can step out and shoot threes makes him, you know, a tough defend for someone, especially like uh, Joshua Morgan. Can they pull him away from the basket? Uh, they were able to do that with Umar Balo uh, against Arizona, especially in the first half Jones and Renault were going off because they just, they just played Arizona and had a lead we're up by double digits. Went on like a like a 12-2 run right before the half and had like an 11-point lead going into the half. And then Arizona playing at home and, and McHale just chipped away, chipped away. But they the big thing to keep an eye on is uh, their freshman guard. I think there's their second leading scorer, um, kid out of um, – I'm, I'm blanking on his name, out of Atlanta – is he missed the last game against Arizona. He had some upper body contusions is the way it was labeled. 
uh, from the Arizona State game. So I don't know if the Arizona State players are just throwing some mad elbows or, you know, if he that could be a bruised rib. That could be that's a very vague upper body contusion could be kind of anything. Uh, maybe he got whopped on the head and he had a big pop knot. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, you know, he missed that game. So will he be back? I would assume he would be back from still the vague terminology of that. That doesn't sound like something that would keep you out for a full 10 days or whatever. So uh, I would expect him back. He's, he's got the quicks, you know, he's got the, he's the explosive guy on the wing that kind of creates for a lot of guys and helps create some of those open shots uh, that they get. So uh, I think winnable game for USC, but also a very losable game. And that's what you kind of mentioned earlier with the next four games. Stanford is a team that has beaten Arizona and beat them up and played really well at Arizona just then, but they also have lost to some, some games. You're like, what, how did you lose to that? That, which is why you're like, how are you 11 and 10? I've seen you play against Arizona and, you know, be beaten up on a top 10 team. And then, you know, let a game get away against the top 10 team. The second time you played Arizona, but you've also lost some, some mind blowing games. So that's the type of team Stanford is. That might be a game where the first six minutes of the game might determine it. Whoever comes out hot, if one team comes out hot and was like it's knocking down threes, and suddenly it's a fourteen point game early, and neither t- the other team's not going to catch up. But it could also be USC has a lead and blows it at the end of the first half, which has been a common theme. We'll see. This could be a new USC team. We'll see. What about on the women's side? What we got? Two games like we talked about when they hosted the Washington schools that USC should win, but I think they're going to be a little bit easier than the Washington Washington State homestand, but fingers crossed. We'll see. Arizona State on Friday at 7 on Pac-12 LA for the women of Troy. That's their first game. ASU 10 of 12, 10 and 12 in conference, or excuse me, 10 and 12 overall, 2 and 8 in conference. They've lost 8 of their last 10. Not a very good team. A game USC should win. Jalen Brown, a guard, she leads ASU 17.2 points per game. And then Monday, because the Super Bowl is on Sunday, and I don't think they wanted to compete with the Super Bowl. Maybe there's another reason, Chuck, and you can tell me. But USC plays Monday instead of Sunday against Arizona, 6 o'clock at home on ESPN2. Arizona 12-2, and 4-6 and six in conference, tied for fifth. Kalen Gilbert leaves the team with 16.7 points per game. I just think USC is on a different level than these two teams, and I would be surprised if the Trojans dropped one of these games. I wasn't that surprised USC lost to, to Washington a little bit. Losing one of these two games, that would actually really surprise me. The most important thing you said during that whole thing was ESPN2. Everyone, if you have not got a chance to watch this team because you don't have the Pac-12 network, we we sympathize for you. But here's your opportunity. It's Monday. You know, you may have called out from work, from being hungover from the Super Bowl, whatever. (laughs) You know, hopefully you're not trying to catch up on work afterwards. Um, But – this is your opportunity to catch them in action um, against a team that was expected to be much better than they are. Arizona, you know, a couple of years ago, the final four team, they, they made the championship game. I think that they made the championship and lost to Stanford. Is that what, the, what it was uh, last year? They made it to the second round of the NCAA tournament. Um, a team that Adia Barnes is, you know, she's fiery coach. I love watching her coach on the sideline. She, uh, you know, I love listening to her sound bites and stuff. She's no nonsense. She loves her players, but she'll defend them over anything. Uh, she's in, like I said, super fiery. So super fun to watch, but this team hasn't been as good as the expectations They're 12 and 10. You got to take care of business. I think that, you know, with a team like that, that's the ones that can be dangerous. 
but the ones you've got to take care of business against. That's how I see it too. And I don't think if they do lose the game, it's not like, okay, the sky is falling. They're not as good as we thought. Maybe, I guess a little bit, maybe they're not as good as we thought, but I, I still think they can salvage going forward. Like it's not going to be like, okay, they're, they're in trouble, but by any stretch, I think what they did this past weekend shows what USC can do, but kind of my point that I was making earlier about how I think this road trip against Cal and Stanford and winning both of those games sort of showed me something, take care of these two games too. And, and that'll sort of continue with that trend. And that'll make me think USC really can do something special in the NCAA tournament. Cause you can beat Stanford. Obviously you can compete with anyone in the country, maybe outside of like a South Carolina who is just on another level right now. But I, 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 I just think, uh, they have a chance to really win some games, go on a win streak, do well, and they should win these games. I'd be surprised if they lost them. You've got to take care of business at home if you want to be a top four seed and get that by. That that's really all there is to it. And you know, against a team that's not against two teams that are not ranked, have not been ranked anywhere, or, or around five hundred, you got to take care of business. It's just no excuse. It's not a season breaker. I think this is what you're looking for. It's not a season breaker. Yeah, thank you. I was looking for something. But it's it's something that will definitely give you pause about thinking that they could do something special in March. Like, yeah, eh, that means they're if they lose one of these games, then you'll look at March and say they're a team that can be upset. They'll be yes. seeded probably higher than the, than expectations were coming into the season. Hey, they're a four seed, they're a five seed, they're a six seed, whatever it is, maybe even higher than that. And you go, well, that might be one of those big seeds that gets knocked off because we saw how they played against Arizona or Arizona state. We saw how they played against Washington, you know, maybe they overlook a team or whatever. Um, so I, I think that's, that's something that I think that's what you're, we're trying to say. And hopefully I, you know, <laughs> helped wrap it up for you. You're wrong. No, of course, that was exactly <laughs> what I, what I was trying to say. And thank you for putting it much more succinctly than I could. I think we're getting to the end of the show here and whoa, whoa, whoa. I never say anything succinctly, but since I said wrapped it up a second ago, well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the USC <laughs> Triple Double Podcast, part of the Parastyle Podcast family. Please help us out. Like, share, subscribe. Leave us a review on your podcast listening platform. Tell your friends. Tell your women of Troy basketball fans. Tell them to get their Juju Watkins jersey and get them to subscribe to the Triple Double Podcast. And always, we welcome your feedback, comments, or questions at podcast at uscfootball.com. Connor, any final thoughts? What can Juju Watkins do next? That's my my <laughs> final question. What what is she going to do? What's her next amazing feat? I can't wait for it. 51 points, the first 50-point game this season, the first 50-point game since Ella Deladon did it by a freshman um since I think it was 2010 or 2011. First USC win at Stanford since 2001, only the second one since 1987. Should I go on, Connor? I feel like we've covered all this, so I'm going to wrap it up. I'm your host, Shotgun Spratling, saying thank you to USC Associate Head Coach Chris Capco for joining the show and to everyone out there for taking the time to listen. Thanks so much to my co-host, Connor Morissette. Hopefully you all can join us for the next episode of the USC Triple Double Podcast. Peace.